Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray with you as we prepare for our weekly dive into all things golf. Good to be back at Talking Golf Central Studio One after a week away at one of the most unique and interesting golf tournaments in the world. The Vic Open was a terrific week as always and what a privilege it was frankly to be there for the first win of Min Woo Lee's career, also to work alongside one of the best in this business, John Huggin. I'm not just sucking up to Huggy for the fun of it. He's our special yes, guest are. today. So Sound like mo- a suck up to me. Have a motive. Huggy will be along shortly. I'm going to edit out that bit of you there, Huggy. Uh, <laughs> as will my regular co Remember, I have the power. Yeah. My regular co-host here in the studio, Adrian Logue. Before we get to the golf, did any of you notice something unusual about last week's show? I've already put this question to Logue, who failed the test. I had listened back to last week's episode last night. I hadn't had a chance to listen to it last week. Flick Johnson was my co-host. We recorded in the lounge room of the flat where I was staying. Well worth a listen, partly because somebody forgot to put the intro music in. How did you not know? I listened to that episode last week, and I'm sure I listened to the intro music. But anyway, I'd be interested to see from people whether they noticed that. Yes, it was a little peek behind the curtain accidentally. And just be thankful that you didn't leave more of the the before talk. Sometimes the pre-chat, that's right. Today's will be checked very carefully, I can assure you, before. It's going to happen one day. Go to where. Uh, I'm officially an idiot, but it was a terrific chat with Flick, not just about the Vic Open. I thought she was fantastic at her best. She was very relaxed, and it was good... uh, Good fun stuff. Anyway, we'll be uh, we'll be better this week. Starting with a hat tip and a thanks to our sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au. Online retailers of fine apparel and accessories. No, de- no need to leave the comfort of your laptop or mobile device to get the best deals on top brands. Oh, yuck. Uh, including Nike, I, I Hugo Boss. I won't describe for people what Rod just did. <laughs> be thankful <laughs> you're not in the studio, Huggy. Nike, Hugo Boss and Ralph Lauren, amongst others. Log on to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash golf, and you'll get the added bonus of a $25 store credit on your first visit, worth a look. You might want to do that before you head back to Scotland, Huggy. Uh, you could be a picture of sartorial elegance with some of the range that's on offer there. I, I do love a good shop. Do you really? No. No, I don't. I was gonna, <laughs> you didn't strike <laughs> I was, me. You, I was taken aback for a moment there. You said through gritted teeth. <laughs> Indeed. Speaking of talking golf, make sure to head over there and check out our other outstanding podcasts. You've got State of the Game, the excellent Talking Golf History podcast with Connor Lewis, a new one we've just added, Blind Shots with a fellow Twitter nerd. Some of you might know one bearded golfer or Dave Hill, as his, appearance, his, his parents originally named him. Check it out at TalkingGolf.com 1G in Talking Golf. Now, this one's a little bit sad. You might have noticed I didn't mention Derek Duncan's outstanding architecture show there, Feed the Ball. Uh, one of the best in the business. That's because there's been a bit of a change. As some of you know, Derek's joined Golf Digest. He's now part of their architecture team. He's already done some fabulous work, truth be told. But of course, one of the reasons Digest wanted him is because of his excellent work at Feed the Ball. That means that that podcast will be joining their digital offering and no longer be a part of Talking Golf. Understandable. No hard feelings on this side, I can assure you. Derek remains a good friend of the show. And while his new role will also preclude him from regularly co-hosting with us, that's a real shame. We won't be a Derek Free Zone because he'll be a guest slash co-host whenever he can fit us in, including an upcoming episode, which we'll mention shortly. When I say we, I mean my co-host, Adrian Logue, who's officially a blogger now, wrote an excellent piece yesterday, which we'll get a mention here shortly. Adrian, welcome. Good to be back after you say hello to all the people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, thanks very much, Rod. Yes, you can find me at, at Adrian Logue on Twitter or adrianlogue.com. All my stuff's there your own website you really made it they said you'd never make it look at you you've made it also joining us but from a rather more beautiful surrounds of the royal adelaide golf club where we'll be covering the australian women's open this week the man who can find a cloud to attach to any silver lining if you believe the hype but you shouldn't 
It's the cuddly and gentle John Huggin we've got today. Huggy, the travelling circus continues for you. It feels like just five minutes ago we were at the Vic Open together. Well, it was, yeah. I'm, uh, now, as you say, I'm in Adelaide. Uh, I'm, it's not very sunny, though. I'm in the basement of the, the clubhouse in the media centre, uh, right next to the lovely air conditioning vent. So it's uh, it's a bit chilly, to be honest. <laughs> well, it could be worse in the strange. I mean, heating up a- later in the week. Maybe. Adelaide yeah. can get horrendously hot. It's funny, isn't it? You're not to complain about first world problems and whatnot, but it feels to me like the media we get pushed ever further and further and further from the centre of the action. Uh, the Vic Open last week, just through logistics, we were a long way from the clubhouse and close to the driving range, which was good. But it's funny, isn't it? You can sort of see the media centres changing over time as the media changes, I reckon, Huggy. Yeah, print media is uh, less and less of a priority these days, unfortunately. And uh, But uh, thankfully, I'll soon be retired and won't have to worry about it. <laughs> Won't you be rubbing our faces in that when it happens? <laughs> and understandably so. Before we come to the Vic Open and what happened there, Huggy, and a few other bits and pieces, we've got the Distance Insights Report, we've got... Minwoo Lee's first win. We've got Adrian's blog piece, but Adrian, I can't remember what the date was, but the but Derek will be back mm-hmm. soon to do the first or the return of the first good good episode of the book club. The book club. Yeah. So we're reintroducing the book club that many listeners will be familiar with from the I Seek Golf podcast. Uh, we've chosen a book which I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with. A lot of people would have an edition of this book, The World Atlas of Golf. And that podcast is going to be myself, Derek Duncan, and Stephen Proctor. So, um, Monarch of the Green, I think it's called. The yeah. book about old Tom, uh, young Tom Morris, yeah. which has been getting some fantastic reviews everywhere around the world. So, we're going to be recording that later this month. Uh, so, it should be going up late February, early March. So, uh, so have, get your edition of, that's right. of World Atlas of Golf or off do, the bookshelf. Or, or do what Adrian did. In the bottom reach, of some book. Reach down to the bottom of the bookshelf and pull out your yep. 1980s version. I've got a... I don't know if it's the original one. I'll have to look it up. But it's 84 or something like that, I think, the edition that I've got. Or maybe 79 or something. But anyway, um, but then I found another one at a, one of those book, book shelter things that they have at bus stops and, and that. And I gave that to you, Rod. Yes, which is in the car. And I'm going to give it back to you today because I'm not going to be a part of it. No, that's quite right. You keep that one. Are you joking? Yeah. Generosity. That's for you. That's beyond experience. Have you read The World Atlas of Golf, Huggy? I know you've got a bit of an interest in that side of the game. I do. Yeah, I've got a copy of it. I, I do have a suggestion for your for your book club. Yes. Um, never, ever uh, use Arnold Palmer's book, Hit It Hard, as a subject. <laughs> it's no good. It's, uh, well, both of the authors are now dead now, so I can tell this story. I, I, I knew Bob Drum, who was the, the ghostwriter on that book. Um, the story goes that um, they signed the contract. He and Arnold signed the contract to do the book. Months go by. Arnold doesn't really have time to do it. Um, so he just says to Bob, Bob, go off and just, just you write it. and I'll, That'll be fine. So what Bob Drum did was uh, he went to his local library, took out six instruction books and rewrote a chapter from each one. That was Arnold Palmer's book, Hit It Hard. So stay away all away from that one. Oh, that is fantastic stuff, Huggy. Fantastic. And the crazy thing is, of course, nobody's ever picked it up and gone, this doesn't look right. <laughs> this doesn't, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't sound like what Arnold did. It's, yeah, uh, that's exactly. Stuff. You did an, actually, on the subject of Arnold, so sorry to hammer on Arnold too no. much, but uh, Arnold Palmer's complete book of putting would be another one to avoid Ooh, because uh, yeah. Peter Dobriner wrote that without ever speaking to Arnold Palmer even once. <laughs> so. which, yeah, which might have been for the best. Yeah. Uh, 
Good stuff, Huggy. Love to hear those old stories. Uh, yeah, so book club in a couple of weeks with uh, Derek, Adrian, and Stephen. I'm really keen to have a listen to that. I, like, I'm going, I, I want to do a bit of this where I step away from the host chair occasionally on Good Good because, frankly, I can't take too much of me. Uh, good week down there at Vic Open, Huggy. I mean, the golf was good. Uh, golf always is, or almost always is. Yeah. And we will a good winner. I'll get your thoughts on him shortly. But we bang on about this event, and I asked Flick about this last week. Is it time we stopped being so excited about the women and men playing together? It's kind of normal now, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I can't get enough of it. I think it's it's really interesting to watch the differences between the way they play, especially these days with the way the equipment has gone, in the especially in the men's game. I mean, they basically stand there and, and smash everything. And the women are much more strategic and much more interesting, I would argue. They play a kind of old-fashioned type game. And, and you know, talking about last week, I mean, Marcus Fraser, uh, this is meant as a compliment, and I think hopefully Marcus would take it as such, is that Marcus plays like a woman yep. in the best possible okay. sense. I mean, he, he doesn't have create the clubhead speed or anything like it that Minwoo Lee does, and he plays a completely different game. In fact, he plays a game much more like the women do than, than the men do at the top level so uh, that that's the interesting part for me is watching the the contrast in, in how they get around the golf course Agreed and I thought that and I said this a couple of times we were part of the radio coverage Huggy which I also must give a huge thumbs up to Golf Australia for pursuing this really innovative is probably the wrong word radio has been around forever but they do it at the Australian Open they introduced it at the Vic Open this past weekend on the Saturday Sunday it'll be on again at the Women's Australian Open on Saturday and Sunday. It's a really interesting way to consume golf. I don't pretend that it was perfect last week, but it was good. I really enjoyed being part of it. I was in, in the booth and part of it at the Australian Open as well. But it's, it's good fun, isn't it, Huggy? And they, yeah. they probably do it a little bit different to how I would do it. I'd let, probably let it breathe a bit more with a bit more discussion about the game, more like cricket. Uh, but they certainly, there's no question that uh, that it is a good and interesting way to consume the game. So, so full marks to... I enjoyed listening to it too. You did have it's, a listen to it? Was it was good, yeah. Yeah, it's just, well, you don't get to hear from... Television demands you speak to the pictures, if not about the pictures, but to the pictures. There's more freedom in radio, isn't there, Huggy, to explore things? Well, well that's right. You, we, we, you know, especially I was in the booth like you were, and I don't know um, how you found it, but it, it was. I enjoyed the luxury of kind of wandering off the subject a little bit and coming back to it in good time. I'm, I share your view that they probably spent too much time jumping around on the golf course describing you know mundane five irons to greens and things but uh, the best part is the is the conversational part of it i'm with you on that which is what the cricket gets so right it's yeah you can understand in golf there's always something happening when you're sitting in that central position and you can see all of the shots going on around the place the temptation is to try to cover them all and i don't pretend that that would be easy cricket of course has that beautiful built-in delay between every delivery where it's just ripe for a discussion about this or that and it's almost like a six-hour podcast really the, well, the kind of kind of and but it, at a at a pace where there's no urgency to the conversation as well you're not desperate to fill the airtime no no that's no, the, no the key to it in fact it? you you're constantly trying to keep it short so that you can get back to the action on the course so uh, i'd love to see that continue i hope it does continue it's got real it could get really really popular and i would imagine i listen to the radio the Ryder cup does it every time i think huggy from memory yeah yeah, Radio Open. 5 Live in the UK, uh, they do a great job on the yeah. golf. But, um, the guys who do it, actually, they're mostly uh, John Murray and Alistair Bruce Ball are the two examples. They do mostly football, soccer, 
um, but they're they're both keen golfers and they they do a really really they're really good broadcasters and they do a great job on the golf. It's 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 almost better to watch TV with the radio on. It's, uh, mm. That's the way to watch the Ryder Cup. Agreed. And with the Open, you can turn it on here at five or six o'clock in the afternoon because they start the broadcast essentially when they start the the day's golf, and they really do let it breathe. And you hear some yeah. fabulous stories from players who played in the Open. Richard Lee quite often be on there and. Uh, Richard Boxall, I think, gets on the radio from time to time. And really, really good stuff. So, look, uh, full marks to Golf Australia. Absolutely fantastic initiative. We'll be back again this week. Uh, tune in and have a listen to Huggy. It's always good. What we missed last week, but we may get this week, Huggy, you and Clates never got to be in there together because, of course, he was out caddying. Yeah, well, I was... Feel like I filled in for Cleats, which is you know how it should be. Of course, it's a bad swap, that isn't it? Somebody's got the raw end of the deal there, swapping you for Cleats. But <laughs> no, I thought you did uh, fantastically well as well. Good stuff. Enough about all that. The tournament itself, Huggy. I have been gushing about Minwoo Lee for a long time, as have a lot of other Australian golf writers and analysts. Are we overplaying just how good this young man can be? You've had the chance to see him up close now and win in what I thought was impressive style because. He really had to earn that one. Those last four holes, he could have lost that tournament easily and in the conditions it wouldn't have been hard to do. I was extremely impressed with the way he went about it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a bit of him before, obviously. He played a bit in Europe last year and I, I made a point of going to see him. Uh, like everybody else, um, you can't not be impressed by the, the noise, that the, the impact when the club hits ball. I mean, it's beautiful and he... He's got that low stinger shot that uh, very few can master, but he, he's really good at that. The question now, of course, is how well does he play? Mm-hmm. You know, he can hit the ball and hit the ball better than most, but how good he's going to get is going to be determined by how well he plays. By that, I mean he does all the intangible stuff that goes with playing golf at the top level. He's got all the basics. It just remains to be seen, you know, how far the rest of it can take him. But he's a fantastic prospect. Well, I found the thing that was encouraging from watching the coverage this last weekend was that he would have beaten almost any field, I feel. Like the the Vic Open, the men's tournament in particular, doesn't always have the strongest field. Yeah. But he seemed to be head and shoulders above everybody else, and he responded to every challenge that was put to him. And I feel like he would have, mm. he would have beaten almost any field that last week. He did what was required to beat that field, but he was clearly the standout player. I think you've got a point, Huggy, in that the, the knock-on Minwoo, if there was one, is that for all the talent, and it's obvious to anybody who watches him, he hadn't previously been a winner. He won the US Junior, which is a big tournament, and he won it when he was quite young. But he hadn't been a, a winner. We know Tiger was a winner at every level and a prolific winner. I'm not sure about Rory's junior career, but he was a winner right from very early on in his career. And that was perhaps a little bit of a concern. It feels to me, Huggy, I don't know how long he's been with this caddy, Shane Joel, I think his name is. That might be the final piece of the puzzle because Minwoo's a bit like a kid who gets into a V8 car at the age of 17. No idea what he's doing. That car in a good driver's hands can do amazing things. And I feel like that might have been it. I saw a different Minwoo, I thought, over those last four holes. Two years ago, he might have pulled driver on that 18th hole. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, Shane, Shane's a, a real top caddy. I mean, he, yeah. uh, I, I've known him quite a while now because he caddied uh, for a few years for Marco Mira uh, on the seniors tour in America. I, I think Mira won after Shane left him, but Shane certainly would see, you know, an absolute top player, major champion playing and how he played and how he reacted in pressure situations and all the rest of it. And 
I wouldn't underestimate just how much you, you mentioned how well Minwoo Lee played the last few holes there on Sunday and you know Shane whispering in the right kind of words in his ear at the right times uh, would be a big part of that I would imagine mm, indeed and the other thing about that Huggy is a vote of confidence from a caddy of his ilk tells you something about the player he's not yeah. going to go and caddy for a chopper that's the yeah. reality of it and yeah so, the, the caddies are they're smart that way I mean yeah. they're, they're always on the eye uh, lookout for the uh, the next big thing that's right uh, and you know Shane's you know, he's he's probably uh, on a on a banker there. With, I mean, we're, we're kind of you know, even I'm casting doubt on whether Min, how good Minwoo Lee is going to be. I mean, he's 21 years old yeah, and he's thing, already yeah. winning European Tour events. I mean, as you say, the potential is enormous. I mean, you could, he'll end up he'll be in America within two years, I would reckon. I would think, and he's got a game that's tailor made for yeah. America. Just, uh, but I just I thought that was interesting, and I sensed a very slight difference in Minwoo in his press conference afterwards. Um, we've been lucky enough to get to know him a bit because he's been at all the big events for the last couple of years and he really is a delightful young man. He's a terrific kid. He's, he's a hooligan in the best sense of the world. He loves the spotlight and he plays up to it and he enjoys being part of it and that will all be important going forward. But I sense the similar thing with Lucas Herbert who I've had, not run-ins, but there's been a bit of niggle there from time to time about things. Lucas a couple of years ago to me was very cocky. Good player, lots of, lots of potential, but he's quite cocky. And since he's won in Dubai... There's a lot less cocky and a lot more natural, legitimate confidence. That was my feeling after coming out of his press conference. And not to the same degree and not in the same way. Minwoo's not being cocky in the same way. But something changes, I think, Adrian, when he's achieved his lifelong dream there, Minwoo. He's won a tournament. He can now confidently just sit back. He doesn't need to tell anybody how good he is. He's got a trophy. Mm. Well, I think you can argue that all great players, there's an element of show-off to them. And it's, it's a necessary element to achieving some sort of greatness in golf. I think, you know, even somebody apparently as humble as Nicholas, it was a tremendous show-off and massive ego. Um, And uh, these guys have got it. They express it in different ways. And I think you're right. I think the way Lucas has changed, the way he expresses that confidence is is some tangible thing. The thing I like that he said most in that press conference, I think it was a question that I asked him about, what's the difference between Lucas now to two years ago? He said, well, you know, not hard to be more mature than the Lucas of two years ago. But wow. the next thing he said was, and I would hope that in two years from now, we could sit here and have the same conversation. I'll be able to look back and say the same thing. And that's a big step forward, I thought, for Lucas Herbert. Seems so. like a thinker. Um, look, maybe. I'll just That sort of self-reflection. Yeah, he's kind of growing up. That's, that's not... That's, Easy to do Which at that nice. age. So. Yeah, so, yeah, good on you, Lucas. Well, I know I've written the story and I've said it a bunch of times on different podcasts, but it was definitely noticeable and it's a good and positive step in the right direction. If he hears me say that, he'll probably go back the other way just to uh, annoy me. But anyway. Just on, on Minwoo, one last thing there. There's the state of the game these days is that you fear for these young blokes that they're just also disposable. Yeah. The game just can bring them in and chew them up and spit them out, whereas... You know, 20, 30 years ago, Minwoo Lee would have had a guaranteed place in golf mm. for 20 or 30 years. He's got a, he would have a guaranteed career. It's true. But now it just seems like they've got to claw their way up the ladder so quickly that if they don't achieve it within two or three years of breaking through and don't sustain that success within two or three years, then they're relegated to the tour that they don't want to be on anymore. We're on to the next thing. And they're done. Like, yeah. And they fade away from our consciousness. And, you know, it happens to... Even guys who continue on to successful careers, like I don't know, like some an Ollie Schneiderjans or someone like that, you know, just there's they're just all so disposable. Um, so that's the fear I have with Minwoo. I hope he can really carry on and 
sustain or sustain this improvement yeah. curve that he's on for a number, uh, few more years. It's always been a cruel game, professional golf, Huggy. It has to be by the virtue of the nature of Is it crueler now than it used to be, do you think? Or just no, cruel I, in a I, different I take way? the opposite view. Yeah. I, I think that uh, there's, this, there's a huge army of relatively anonymous players out there on certainly on the European Tour, the one I'm most familiar with, and probably the same on the PGA Tour, the guys who plod along and keep their cards year after year and finish you know, between 90th and 110th on the money list every year, and they, they basically don't bring much to the, to the table in terms of entertainment value, and they, they're certainly not putting many bums on seats. I think the, uh, the professional golf in that sense is way too cosy. I don't mm. think it's cruel in any sense. I think there's, there's, there are many players, and I, Pete Cowan, the renowned swing coach is of the same opinion as me on this I talked to him recently about it and he says there are many players not on the European tour but use that as an example who are playing on the challenge tour say in Europe and there are there are better players than the guys on the European tour but the European tour can't get them off if you like there are, the, the bottom line is there's too many players exempt it's too easy to stay exempt yeah there's this difference between players who are making a living and it does seem like there's more opportunity to make a living in professional golf than there's ever been but people who want to be significant in the game that seems to be harder than ever like and Min Woo Lee you know that he wants to be significant he, he, we want to look back in 20 years time and, and think that he's one of Australia's I want him yeah. to be I want him to entertain well, me five or ten, ten best ever golfers yeah. that's his yeah, job a, entertain me the way Tiger entertained me for all that. yeah. that's what his job is he'll, entertain me he'll feel like he'll be unfulfilled if he isn't looked upon as having a significant career. A significant yeah. career, not just a career. Well, there's the old line in professional golf that solves all those problems yeah. is play better. <laughs> play, play better. better. Yep. Have less shots than the other blokes and everything will be yeah. just fine. Not too, uh, not too difficult at all. It sounds there, Huggy, like you're almost siding with the top players who think the Premier Golf League is a good idea because those blokes between 90 and 110 are this dead weight around their ankles. If it wasn't for well, them, they could all be making a bunch more money. I get their argument. Um, it was the same uh, back in the day when the was it O'Meara and Duval and Woods and Mickelson, I think, complained or wondered where all the money was going from the Ryder Cup. Um, that was turned into in some areas of the media for them asking for money to play in the Ryder Cup, which wasn't the case at all. They just were wondering where all the this black hole called the PGA of America, where, where all the money was actually going. And there was never really a, a good answer for that, and there probably still isn't. But the players now get a, they get money to give to a charity, which is I think all they were really looking for. But the, you know, the, I, I sympathise with them. They're the show at the end of yeah. the day, and they're the ones that you know that are making us talk about them and and talk about the tournaments and all the rest of it. And you know, I look at Tiger Woods. I mean, I always had the same view of him as I had of Michael Jordan in the basketball. You, you basically couldn't pay him enough. No. But he's an outlier. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy that. you cut off at the end of the bell curve. You're right, yeah. but still, the, 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 you know, the guys, guys in the top ten must look around and think, you know, man, I'm I'm not really getting my my due here, and that's why things like this, you said the the new proposed Premier League or whatever it's called, World Tour, uh, things like that keep popping up because there's there's an opportunity there to for these guys if they want to to break away. Yeah. Thank God they did away with Tour de Force, by the way, which one was one of the name options, apparently. Exactly, the Tour de Force. Give that up. Give that away. I suppose the issue is, Adrian, the relationship's actually symbiotic. If there's nowhere to play, you can't be a star. And that's what the tours do. They give you a place to be a star. The other thing, of course, is that you need someone to beat. (laughs) So there has to be a field. And I get the argument about those. But I wonder whether we underplay in some ways 
what it takes to be a consistent 90 to 110 finisher on the money list on the PGA Tour. How good a, I remember following George McNeil around the Australian Golf Club a couple of years ago. George wouldn't turn heads anywhere. I don't think, I'm not sure he won a tournament. He lost, might have lost a playoff to Jason Day one year. Unbelievable golfer to watch. Legitimately, you can't find golf like it. He'd be that 90 to 110 guy. So I just I, well, I don't you know what the back, answer is. But. Go back another 200 spots in the world rankings as well, and there's still some of the best golfers. Well, anyone who's one of the 100 best at what they do in the world probably deserves to make an excellent living at that thing. Um, so there's that side of it. But I also think... Synchronised swimmers would agree with you, but they're losing that <laughs> argument. I think part of the uh, the deal when you win a golf tournament is you've got to hold back those masses as well. You've got to overcome that challenge as well. It's not just overcoming like the top 20 players or the top 48 players well, in the world. You've got to actually overcome somebody from that pack having the best week of the year. Classic example, Huggy, would be Marcus Fraser. He'd be a 90 to 110 player on the US Tour year in and year out. There's a dozen, or there's 50 of him in every field every week that Tiger and Minwoo and Rory have to beat. So that they have a role, well, except the position you put him. They have a role. You're know, a bit hard on Marcus there. Marcus won four yeah, or five Yes, teams. I am, I am. He, right. he was better than the guys I'm talking about. Three European tour wins, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I've not got a huge amount of sympathy. I just think that the, the, there's too many people exempt. I mean, if you made yeah. it 60 or 50... That, I, that I absolutely agree with. And that's kind of what they've tried to... Well, they haven't actually, have they? The, the, the whole call of the secondary tour and that four-event series at the end of the year. But I agree with you. I think there's too many exempt players, and it breeds mediocrity. That's yeah, the, the it's problem. It takes away the killer instinct. Ramp, yeah, these rampant right-wing golfers turn into trade unionists <laughs> the top of the hat. <laughs> indeed. There's no question about that. Yeah. It is a trade union, yeah. indeed. Uh, we co- of course, we're excited in Australia about Min Woo Lee and his first win, and that's as it should be. He is an ex- he's, a, he's a very exciting prospect for the next couple of decades for Australian golf. But, of course, the great appeal of the women, the, the Vic Open, Huggy, the women's tournament as well. Finished in a four-hole playoff. Say on you, I think we all thought, was going to win it when she stood on the 18th tee. Hit a rank pull hook into the penalty area. That's just for you, Huggy. The penalty area. <laughs> down the left there that's marked with a red line and used to be called a hazard, uh, which was quite a surprise. What would you take on the women's finish, Huggy? That that 18th hole seemed to me that the, the only outcome was ever going to be somebody would lose it, and that's ultimately what we saw. That There wasn't there wasn't really an opportunity on that hole for someone to win it. it, it I think Mark yeah. Hayes described it as a four factory. <laughs> I think he was yeah. right about that. The, the biggest problem I had with the playoff is nothing really to do with the players. It's such an awful hole. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible golf hole. That. I mean, it's, the the roughs in the wrong place, the fairways. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a bad hole, and the, the, to go to the same hole over and over, which is the the norm these days. I mean, that's pretty tedious in itself. So, I think they could do a better. I know how why they go there because the stands and the crowds and people are there. But it would be so much more interesting if they varied the the, the holes and we just changed went to a different hole every time in a playoff or played it off the men's team there's a lot well, of it did something different yeah, yeah I mean, it was just oh, so much the same and, it, and as I say it was only exacerbated for me by the fact that I can't stand that hole I mean it's just <laughs> awful well the fairway was literally almost impossible to hit Yes. It was narrow in about the, the landing zone, very narrow, maybe 15 or maybe 20 yards wide. There was a, it, it might have been helped by the fact it was downwind because we know the ball curves less downwind than the norm. You had to bounce it on the right edge, potentially in the right rough, 
to have any chance of it stopping on the short grass on the left side of the fairway. And invariably, I think every single shot that I saw... Nobody, nobody did it. Yeah. Well, for the, in the women in the playoff, there wasn't a single ball found that fairway. They all ended up in the same sort of collection area in the rough, which then brings in some iffy lies and some unusual I, things. I was, anyway, that was it. I was, was very fun. conscious of it because I was doing the, the playoff commentary for the website. And oh, right. The, so the little, better than the little mine, pop-up. Well, after a while, I just had... Uh, Drive to left rough in the, in the copy <laughs> copy and paste in the in the copy buffer and we just pasted that in for every single drive. Yeah, so. Indeed, so that was a shame. But and the second shot of choice of, of, of well, of course, was to smash it into the grandstand over the back of the green and get the get the backstop, the, the no yeah. penalty drop right on the edge of the green. I mean, it was just that's yeah. crazy stuff. Well, there was no well from the lies I saw the, the first time around. So Yon Yu had the ball slightly below her feet on a downhill lie with some light, crispy, fluffy grass behind it. To a firm green. You couldn't have stopped that ball if you were landing it on a sponge. Yeah. The, the only shot was just to smash it and run it straight through the back of the green, as she did. So there, there was issues with that. But that's a golf course. It could kind of landed in the false front and hope like it would sort so of stop re- it there. But. That's true, except that uh, a couple of years ago, I was there when Mel Reed was in a playoff with Sandra Gall. And they, I don't know whether they played from a tee further back. But I watched on three separate occasions in the playoffs, stood behind her, and from the fairway each time, she hit these ripping three woods. They were hitting three woods and hybrids. Magnificent shot and did exactly that. Pitched in the false front and rolled back. Now, if she'd carried it four feet further onto the green, it was going to race over the the back. Anyway, so anybody who thinks golf course architecture isn't important, design and setup, I think that's an example, Huggy, that explains why this stuff's somewhat important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say... it, it could have been great. I mean, it's it's match play at the end yeah. of the day, a playoff, and match play is the most interesting form of golf. I mean, I've always argued that stroke play only becomes interesting when it turns into match play near the end, mm-hmm. uh, and it just became, you know, a the the hole didn't help, and b playing the same hole over and over yeah. is just it's tedious. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's not the that f- interesting because it was groans from people. Yeah, I mean, you know, when it the play, when it went from the third hole to the fourth, oh, it was just. People were not looking forward to it, and it, it was a shame. It's, it's, it should it's be the opposite. I'm, I'm going to defend it a little bit. First of all, 13th Beach. You are alone and isolated now. <laughs> 13th Beach <laughs> is a hell of a lot better venue than... It's ever. a fantastic And golf that's, that's maybe... It's possibly the worst tee shot on the course downwind with the yes. way that fair, fairway narrows down, and as I said, you can't, you can't really hit the fairway. But the approach shot... In theory, that's a pretty challenging shot. It is. And it's a much more... Intri- the, the grandstand at the back kind of ruins it, as you said. But the, um, the, the in contrast, we have seen playoffs in the LPGA where they're playing a par five where it's just two shots to get to the point where they're playing the little 90-metre par eight, three. At the 18th, the A&A. Yeah. Classic yeah. example. And yeah. that is completely unbearable. And at least it wasn't that. At least they're hitting sevens or six irons or something like that off a difficult lie to a to a target where they've got to actually think about what the ball's doing on the ground. So I actually kind of enjoyed it. But I'm grading, su- grading on a curve. <laughs> My suggestion here would be, Huggy, have the playoff on the 15th hole where the tee yeah. shot is not far yes. from those grandstands. It's a great hole. Yeah. Get a big screen there. And then you've got real match play because if player one steps up and carves it down the right, player two now has to think about hitting five iron off that tee. Mm. You can, you can score the green. anything from two, two to, to six. Seven. Exactly. Yeah. Easily there. Yeah. So that would be a better playoff hole except that it just happens to run the wrong way, and it would have been into the wind. Anyway, enough of all that. We don't know. I noted this at the end of the day's play on Sunday, Huggy. We fall into these traps, don't we? I think uh, once Minji Lee couldn't win as an Australian crowd, 
we wanted Soyon to win because we know that she eats Vegemite and she's famous and she's won two majors. And not maliciously, but in doing so, we make all the other players anonymous. We knew nothing about He Young Park before that playoff. We knew a little bit about her Jin Choi because she'd won the Australian Amateur and had contended in the US Open as an amateur. But it's interesting, isn't it? We just seem to look at the the South Korean players as almost this amorphous blob of players. They're all good. They all hit it good. They all do this. It's pretty unfair, isn't it? She turned out in the press conference. I'm not sure if you were there, Huggy. She was a delightful young woman, He Young Park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I have to hold my hand up. My uh, level of knowledge... um, of the women's game is, isn't near what it is for the men's, basically because I spend so much time writing and working on the on the men's tours. But um, yeah, I mean, I love watching the women. I, I go to women's events every chance I get, and the the Korean women are used, as you just said, are the kind of dominant forces. I mean, if you, but if you're again, if, this is a knock on me. If I, if I was walking along the range last week and somebody had said to me, uh, could, "Could you find so and so?" She's a you know a diminutive uh, Asian girl with a beautiful swing. I'd be completely lost. They've I mean, hardly you, narrowed you, it you, down you, for you, Huggy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not all your fault of, there. Could be one of twenty-five people. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're fantastic to watch. I I really think that the women, the way the, the game's gone, at least for me, the way the game's gone in the, uh, in the modern era. Uh, I'd much rather watch the women play than the men in lots of ways. I'll put a caveat on that. I would too, on the right course. And the beauty of 13th Beach, that beach course, it's extraordinarily democratic, which is why you get Minwoo Lee and Marcus Fraser and Ash Hall and Matt Miller and Jake Mm McLeod and Trav Smythe all within a couple of shots of the lead starting Sunday. You couldn't find six more disparate golfers of age, talent, and the way they play the game, and yet all found a way to get to the top of that Leaderboard, and I think the 13th Beach, and this week again, Huggy, I'm jealous that you're there, Royal Adelaide will really separate the good players, the proper golfers, from just the good hitters. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is the one of, I'm sure it's probably dropped in the, the rankings in Australia uh, over the last few years, given the, the number of really great courses that have emerged, but that doesn't mean to say that Royal Adelaide's any, any worse than it, than it ever was. I mean, it's a terrific course. And I'm looking forward to seeing just how the women handle it. I mean, that that's the interesting part. You you, you know how the men are going to play, but you're always in, you're never quite sure with, with the women. No, indeed. And the other thing, of course, to keep in mind is, particularly when we talk about the South Korean players, and she's Jung Lee Six, the U.S. Open champion, is extraordinarily impressive in all sorts of ways, including how she plays the game. But she did it again this week. At the back end of last year, she accepted an award. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the award was. But she might have made, been rookie of the year. Possibly. She made her speech in English deliberately. She'd yeah. practiced it for a long time and she nailed it beautifully. Yeah. And this week, she was caught on camera at the flash area after one of her ends, shooing away an interpreter. That was great. No, no, go away. I'm going to do it. Try and reverse that. Put yourself in that position. Like, could Horrifying. you go to Korea Horrifying. and learn to speak the language on television? That, that, that's an extraordinary thing they do. And I think it explains a lot why people think, oh, they come over here, they've got no personality. None of that's true. It's an extraordinarily difficult thing they're doing. And in fact, they're no different to any of the rest of us. They've got fantastic personalities and senses of humour. It's just harder to show when you don't natively speak the language. That's right. The, the deeper you get into the women's game, the more fascinating it is. And the standard of golf is is. Peerless, it's really. embarrassing for those of us who are amateurs, frankly. Indeed. It is genuinely embarrassing. And I think what the Vic Open shows, for me, the biggest takeaway from the Vic Open each year is that you don't actually have to have the women pros competing directly against the men's pros like we used to have with, with trying to get women into men's fields and trying to make cuts and things like that in order to prove that women's golf is awesome. 
or that the, the very best of women's golf can compete with men, that's a load of rubbish. You don't actually need to show that in order to show that women's golf is awesome. It is awesome all on its own. And even right alongside the men, not competing against the men, but on as a showcase right alongside the men, the Vic Open, it, it just really does prove the two how good it is. We're pretty close together. I mean, Sunday. By, by the way, before yes. we finish this, move on slightly. Um, I, I did ask the obvious question last weekend. Number six, uh, numbers <laughs> one to four. Yep. How are they going? Are, are retired. Yeah. Uh, number five is still out there, but. Uh, there's great anticipation waiting for number seven to arrive. Yeah, we, wouldn't it be lovely if we could get all six of them together for a photo? Yes, I said that too. Yeah. <laughs> all wearing four of them number, are gone, sadly. All wearing a number on the, uh, on the caddies bib. Yeah, terrific week uh, at the Vicar. Well, we, I was going to respond to something. I can't remember what you were just saying because Huggies put me on. So I was just saying the women's game's ah, awesome yeah. all on its own without yeah. the women competing against the men. But the scores, as you say, are very similar. Scoring was similar to the talent levels. I mean, if, you, if you're into the golf swing and you can't stand and watch Ann Van Dam swing the club for... Hours on end. There's something wrong with Madeline you. Sagstrom. Madeline Sagstrom, wow. fantastic over. She, I was very surprised at her final eighty one. She's too good to ever shoot eighty one, even if she's broken a wrist. I think that expected to shoot. What if she had an eight on the eleventh? Really knocked her around. That, the wind I mean, was brutal. That's it, hard to. Come I was out from. there, and I can tell you, the wind was out. It was even making me move, and I'm fairly well. I mean, gravity has its impact on me. I make my my fair use of gravity, so it was uh, it was not easy. Now, look, I thought it was a fantastic week, and the. Yeah. The, the playoff on that hole aside, I thought it was good, exciting golf. For the most part, tick up another success to the Vic Open. Huggy, everybody in the world of golf has had their say about the Distance Insights report, and yet I've heard a bit of what you think about it, but the rest of the world hasn't. I'm not sure if you've even written a piece about it. If you have, uh, I've I, missed I, I it. Did this morning, this very morning, I did a column for Golf World UK. Excellent. Published that. What, did, what did you say? Because I'd like to hear from you, because, of course, it has been interesting. We've now had a bit over a week to soak it in and for people to have various comments about it, including some of the players who, for the most part, have been less than impressive in proving that they're at all thoughtful yeah. about the game, which comes as no surprise, I think, to most of us. But what, what did you write for Golf World UK, and, and what, what, what's been your take? I, I think, like a lot of people, I got a, I got a wee bit excited when I, it came out, and it, it, it actually read like a lot of the columns that I've written over the years, and Mike Clayton said the same thing. It was almost like we'd written the thing for them. Um, and finally, you know, my first reaction was, finally, they're actually listening to... What, what has been long been obvious. I mean, everybody knew that, that there was a problem and an issue. But then, you know, my second reaction, once I sort of sat down and thought about it a bit, was, you know, I was a bit darker, which might be typical of me, but, <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the implications of all this have been so obvious for so long. Why has it taken them this long? I mean, it, to me, the... the this might be a bit unfair, but the, the, the egos involved in the RNA and the USGA seem to have gotten in the way of doing what is right by the game, which is what they're supposed to be there to do. You know, they, they had to basically hold their hands up and say, yeah, we got this wrong. We, the, our boffins weren't as good as the boffins of guys in the white coats employed by the equipment companies, and we got overtaken and we got, you know, we were fooled, basically. We, we got left behind, and to me, that I wouldn't have thought. I would have actually thought more of them if they'd been big enough to admit that. That that seems to me has been maybe the slightly cynical view, but that to me has been the biggest hurdle for the last few years is just getting the RNA and USGA to admit, you know, that they got it wrong, mm. or, or and they they should have done something about it long before this. I mean, it's it's out of control now. It, it mm. might not be able to possible to put the genie back in the bottle. It's uh, my 
you know, and I, I do think though that the the tipping point. I'm, I'm consoled by this. The tipping point might just be the open at St Andrews next year. I think the RNA are quite rightly um, concerned, worried about the fact that if they get the right weather, nice weather, these guys are going to be breaking 60 on the old course and symbolically that is going to be hard for the RNA to, to stomach and I think that might just be what the, the anarchist in me thinks that that might just be what it takes. Somebody, somebody there thinks that's fine. It's not. <laughs> this is the, the Golf Australia staff are you know, not hard at work yet. They're yeah. and flooring in the background. Hooping it up early in the week. I think you're right about that, Huggy, and I, I, I share, I agree with most of what you say. I, and this comes directly to the column that you wrote yesterday, Adrian. I'm in the camp, and I think Huggy might be in the other camp. We'll get his thoughts in a minute. I'm in the camp that says this entire thing, regardless of how we ended up here, this whole thing needs to be handled pretty carefully because the potential for damage to the game, if it's handled wrongly, is enormous. And it's not what anybody wants. You can take a position and think you're right, and you wouldn't take a position unless you thought you were right. I'm yet to meet anybody who's taken a position that they thought they were wrong. Maybe Chamblee does that sometimes. I'm not mm. sure. Yep. But that's pretty rare. We all think we're right about what we think. But I do believe that if it's handled incorrectly from here, now we're now talking about politics. That, None of the internal strategies of the game that are affected and their internal golf arguments about courses and those things or the external stuff about golf's footprint, all of those discussions are now part of a much bigger political issue and the politics of it won't be as simple as many of us would like it to be. I'd love to think that the RNA and the USGA could say on Monday next week, <coughs> balls roll back 10%, they're the new rules, deal with it. But I just don't see that being sensible. It's Yeah, it's not going to go down like that, is it? And the motivation for the piece that I wrote was really an observation of how similar processes have gone in the past. Some of them successful, some of them not so successful. I think, you know, the anchoring ban, for example, is a example of just a ridiculous compromise that was reached in the end. Which, is, frankly, a lot of people think was kind of a test for this. Yeah, indeed. So, but then... These things always start, and the main point I, I guess I was trying to make in this article is that it always starts with some really simple uh, postulations, like the, these theories that, like you just you just do this and everything's fixed. And those those things are good conversation starters, but they're inevitably not quite going to work. Like it's just it's a little bit too dictatorial or something. Even if you go through due process, you can't kind of end up on these simple things. There's other little dials that you need to turn to balance the whole solution in the end and you kind of got to go through these processes to find the right combination like the the right suite of changes that's going to bring balance to the solution and get the right outcome but of course in doing that you end up bringing in academics and and in previous things you've got you're going to have physicists involved in this and all sorts of people elbow patch wearing part-time <laughs> journos sitting on the sidelines <laughs> commentating yeah. who come up with ridiculously overcomplicated things that solve every nook and cranny of the solution but which are completely useless solutions totally, totally nobody understands yeah. what the hell is going on so you've kind of got to find this middle ground and the the heavy lifting in the end is done by the people who understand to some extent both ends of that spectrum the simple the simple sort of wrong answers and the complex wrong answers and can explore all the nuance in between and come up with a balanced solution that's I, I feel like needs to also be quite an opinionated solution it might be closer to one end of the spectrum or the other 
and it might seem like quite a simple solution in the end, but uh, the the best sort of simple solutions are like a Picasso painting or something where it's an economy of lines but achieved through a deep understanding of all the nuances that are in play and and coming together to form what looks like a, a simple, elegant thing but has a lot of complexity behind it. So I, I, that's the, the best possible outcome that can happen here. And you see it in everything. You've seen it in the rules simplification over the last year. Brexit. They, Brexit. Um, I, like I'm, hand, I'm very close to handicapping, and with the world handicap system, I've, I've watched that entire process evolve over the last four or five years. And it went through this exact thing where people can cite articles from, you know, some news newspaper clipping from 1930 where some guy came up with a fantastic simple system for the 20 people at his golf club, and why don't we do that across the whole world? Right through to the thing that the mathematicians come up with, the which is unbelievably. But all this time on his hand and has fallen in love with golf, and now he's going to fix the handicapping system right. for you. <laughs> and in the end, you can come up with two or three talking points that everybody understands about the world handicap system, but there's an enormous amount of complexity that has gone into coming up with those two or three talking points that you can communicate to the general public and and produce a system that has compromises in it, but for the most part, fits most people. And, you know, it's, you're never going to have a solution that solves 100% of problems. Huggy, are you simple and wrong, complex and wrong, or somewhere in the middle and right, like me and Adrian? <laughs> well, I think, Adrian, there's a lot of truth to, obviously, what Adrian says. But I keep going back to the, my original point was it's, it's, been, it's, be, it's become complicated because mm-hmm. the RNA and the USGA got it wrong right at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it should have been so simple. They should have just, right at the start, said, no. You can't do that. That's, if you do that, the game's going to be out of control, and this is the golf courses are going to be obsolete, and all the things that we now talk about are, are going to happen. No, you're not doing that. that. That's we're going to. This is where we stop, and that's the end of it. But now, because it's gone on so long, and as you say, it becomes ever almost daily becomes more complicated. But the, the essential issue is is is, is very very simple. Yeah. Well, you know, where we are now is not where we should be. In the same way that golf is very simple, Huggy, get the ball in the hole and the least number of shots, that's when it starts to get hard. It's that, simple, but I, it's not easy. <laughs> so I, I ran out of patience with Mike Davis and the rest of them years ago because yeah. of this. I mean, I, this is... And I, I lost patience halfway through the process where we are now, so I can imagine how I feel now. Oh, I can. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous where we are now. It's absolute, nobody's done the right thing by the game. I mean, the, you can't rely on the equipment companies to do what's right for the game. And to be fair to them, that, that's not why they it's exist. They job, exist to do money. And um, the frustrating thing is that it's obvious from this document that people who love the game and understand it deeply wrote this document. Yes. I mean, uh, and, and they're basically rewriting Mike Clayton's columns of the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's all in one document. It's a pretty remarkable document. I feel like I this agree. is going to be something that people quote 50 or 100 years from now. Is The the thing about breaking the cycle, and that's the sort of quote. You will see that come up in 50 years' time in whatever form Twitter's taking yeah. in 50 the, years' time. To me, Huggy, the most encouraging thing was the strength of the language that they chose to use. They will not be able to back away from that. That, that they have, they've written they're, things that they can't back away but it's from. Just, it's still, you know, in the yet another period, and we're going to think about this, and we're going to talk to people, and oh, give me a break! I mean, <laughs> really? I mean, how long do you really need to talk about this? The encouraging just, thing that's is a great, that actually, clearly, that's actually a great question. How long, Adrian, is reasonable for this process to unfold? Given who's involved, what's at stake, and the potential downside of getting it 
wrong. Well, since you said given who's involved and what's at stake, whatever number you think it is, just double it. <laughs> <laughs> like a tournament <laughs> purse. Double that plus 10%. Yeah. It's it's going to be a long process, I think. That's guaranteed. Yeah, I think, I think so too. All of these people come from a culture of measure twice, cut once with these things. And uh, look, I think they've done the right thing in this document in not coming up with answers because politically it wouldn't that's right. it wouldn't that would be acceptable wrong, you can't go straight to the solution with these things i, I hate myself even saying this because <laughs> I, I don't i don't like to operate that way myself but uh i think you can't go straight for the solution in these things you've got to have a little bit of restraint you've got to lay out the it's like putting out the articles of impeachment or something these are the discussion this points. is the framework we're working yeah. within that's right these are the discussion points now we know the basis of the discussion let's have the debate so this is a further proof of course that nothing can ever get achieved by committee no that's not the, the um, best committees have an odd number of members and, and it's less than three yeah, yep. <laughs> or, or a three-person committee with two away sick that's the other alternative what's to say that a camel's just a horse built by committee is that oh, <laughs> is that I'm what so, they say so jaded by all this i mean it's just... i can tell and i understand that and you're not alone but here's the here's the thing for the future of the game, beyond our lifetimes, if, if golf's to have a future, and that's not guaranteed necessarily, <laughs> leaving aside whether the ball goes too far and the game's less or more entertaining because of it, if it's going to have some sort of future, in some ways, this is the beginning of the 100-year plan that golf should always have had. This is an extraordinarily important issue. And for if, if you think about the game in 100 years' time, Taking some extra time now to ensure that that happens in the right way, I think, is the only reasonable thing to do. The temptation is to say, let's just roll it back and see what happens. But I don't know whether you ever saw these. It's hard to believe, you know, what anyone says. I mean, you get players. I mean, Phil Mickelson was one last week saying, you know, unbelievable nonsense about how it's all. But these guys are better athletes. But that doesn't fly. And he's he's one of the – all these guys take – Huge amounts of money yes. from equipment companies and everyone tell knows us it. that these clubs are going to make us play better. Well, if it's only about athleticism, what's the point of the golf clubs? You know, anything will do. And I mean, I, the, the, the hypocrisy and the you know conflicts of interest are everywhere. I mean, it's they are. Well, I, the, the Frank I, Hannigan line he told me years ago: you, "You're nobody in golf until you've got you've got at least three conflicts of interest." I mean, these guys have got. They're into double figures somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the real golfers, honey. We're they're the, deep in the, 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 oh. the fringe players. It, that's all true. What do you think, though, uh, Adrian, about that notion of if you get it right? And I accept that Huggy's right. The temptation is just to say, let's just fix it now. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would say about Mickelson, Casey, Webb Simpson, some of the silly things we've seen, Jason Day, A, they've clearly not thought about it because they don't care. They don't care about the game of golf, and why would they? It's their profession. They're unbelievably good at it. Most of us would give a right arm to be half as good as what they are, but to them it's just the way they are. It can also be completely discounted right from the get-go. I don't think anybody is paying any serious attention to anything Phil Mickelson says on this subject, or Jason Day, or Webb Simpson, because we know that they haven't talked about it. Conversely... People will listen to what Jack Nicholas has to say and Jeff Ogilvie has to say and some other players have had to say and Tiger Woods is in this camp because they've been saying it for a long time, clearly think about it and have a genuine interest in the game and the health of the game, not just for themselves but for those who are to follow. And so I take your point, Huggy, but it's a distraction. I mean, Mickelson's a sideshow in this, as yeah, is Webb Simpson, as is Jason Day. They all come out with this, oh, you know... No one ever, no one, the, the average guy, you never hear the average guy complaining about how he's hitting the ball too far, you know, 
but I tell you what, they're, they're, they seem to be scared of a rollback in the game, and, and they shouldn't be. No, I don't understand no. why they would be either. It's just it another game. Before, I mean, but we, we I say we, and, and I mean everybody in the world except the United States, went through a rollback mm. you know, when we switched from the small yeah. ball to the big ball. I lost about 20 yards on my drives overnight. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but the stampede to leave the game because it was suddenly too difficult. I must have missed that. I didn't see anybody mm. leaving the game because they, the, the game was suddenly harder. You're absolutely right. Absolute but, nonsense, all of that. Of course, the biggest changes in golf over that time, Huggy, haven't been to the game itself. They've been to the business, Adrian. And so now we have multinational companies involved who report to shareholders and find themselves in a business environment where it is unacceptable to ever have back-to-back quarters of not growth. And so all sorts of things are done to manipulate those figures. But the, And it's not even the actual business. It's the fear that yeah, yeah. there might be some loss of market share, which drives a narrative that says the game is best served by continually hitting the ball further and making products that go further, because that's what golfers want, and they don't complain about ever hitting the ball too far. So it's more complex now than it was. McGregor and Dunlop, in the era you're talking about, Huggy, were big players in golf, but they weren't big players. Akushnet is a legitimately uh, multinational company, as is Callaway, though they're based in the States. But in terms of scale, so the stakes are much higher from that side, which also means, Huggy, and this is the danger, if they legitimately feel that their danger is threatened, they're their fight back, for want of a better term, will be much, much, much stronger and they're much richer and much more influential than they used to be previously. So we're in a mess, we agree, and we know how we got here and we know who's at fault for getting us here. But the real narrative from here has to be how do we get out of it? Yeah, well, they've got, they've, they're very clever lawyers. have got to beat the basic principle that somebody has to make the rules. That's why I keep coming back. If I was the judge sitting on this, I'd be thinking, well, somebody has to do it. You know, and these guys are supposedly the, the rules of the, golf or the rules of business, honey. Rules of golf, albeit the you know the RNA and the USG. I mean, I'm such a big fan of both of them, of course. <laughs> they, uh, and the PGA Tour. They're they're self appointed. Yes. Know, no, no, they just do it because they've always done it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, but if you were, I take the point that if you were starting over tomorrow, I don't think you'd have uh, what the pros, you know, disparagingly call a bunch of amateurs. You wouldn't have them making the rules. No, that's just a stupid yeah. thing to say. And, but then, and, <laughs> I agree, but that's what they say. And reading a document of this quality as well, it's superbly written. And I think I made the comment in the article that it makes everything else that's come before it look a little mm. bit silly. They've frankly. really taken it like, argument by argument and laid out the case. It's the it's the document I wish I could have written, but I'm just not good enough. So Exactly. Um, I tell you, you mentioned lawyers, Rod, mm-hmm. and Huggy mentioned as well. I feel like the people you need to fear in this debate are not the lawyers. I mean, I'm going a bit deep here, but it's it's the accountants. Yeah. Because these big corporations, like if, if you're ping 30 years ago or 40 years ago and you're faced with a challenge like this, like Square Groove Band or something like that, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm just going to innovate my way out of this. There's an R&D culture to a company like that which says we're just going to improve our product and we'll, we'll create a product that people will buy. What you have now with your Akushnets and your Callaways and, and those... Bridgestone uh, is a multinational yeah, company. Uh, accountants who have to answer to a bunch of stakeholders and they're running the show and they see this as a risk and they're not going to imagine their way out of it. They're not going to R&D their way out of it. They're not going to innovate their way out of it. They're going to just fight it. And 
that's the easiest way for them to go is just to fight the change rather than to actually accept the challenge of trying to develop a product that'll work under the new rules. They're just going to fight the new rules. Mm. And it's just, just this complete lack of imagination and this corporate drive to squeeze every last dollar out of everything that they do. Every activity has to... Every, is a return on investment. Every single activity has to have a return on investment. And that's all driven by accountants. No offence to all the accountants listening. but Because I know personally a lot of accountants have a lot of uh, creativity with what sure. they do. Like, and, and I'm not talking about creative. Well, I'm getting digging myself a hole here. But um, when you're answering to thousands of stakeholders in these big corporations, they're just incredibly risk adverse. And it's not the lawyers that you need to fear. It's the accountants that drive the agenda. Yeah. And possibly join your golf club and or your group. That, that's terrifying stuff. Huggy, should we read anything into the fact that, as far as I can find to this point, the manufacturers have been silent on this issue? Yeah, well... I had a, did a long interview with Wally Uline um, at Augusta, who was on the, talking about the, all this this very subject, and he made that argument that it, it's risky. They, they they see their market share as being you know hmm. at risk if, if if there's a change, and I I found that hard to understand, and I still do to an extent because as I said to him, this is that you know Wally, I've always used your ball because it's the best ball, and I would continue to use it. After you know any rollback and things, it would, presumably it would still be you know what I was looking for. So I really that, that was a tough argument for to me to, for them to make to a golfer. The, well, the, you know, well, that's right. To, to lawyers and things, but yeah. for a golfer, the golfer is just going to shrug and say, "Well, it's, you know." Well, the, their, their concern. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm still going to stick with the titles. Yeah, the, their concern, Huggy, is that you'll actually be the minority, and I don't think it's necessarily an illegitimate concern, particularly in a world where we've seen so much advancement with the golf ball, and so many of the world's best now playing a different golf ball. Titleist has always been the biggest player in the market, and they remain so. But if you look through the top ten in the world, no longer is it the case that you can just assume they all play Titleist. So the problem for Titleist is this. If there's a reset of the regulations that the, the Titleist using public, any percentage of them, and certainly enough of a percentage of them, will say, well, hang on a minute, I pay $20 more per dozen for my Titleist because it's the best ball. Well, now the rules have changed. Surely they're all the same. I'm going to try a Bridgestone. I'm going to mm-hmm. try a Callaway. And those sentences would never have left the mouths of those golfers. And they understand just how important that customer base is. And you're right, there'll be a lot of people like you. And Harrington said it. I thought he made a really interesting point. Padraig Harrington, he said, I'm a Titleist player. And I believe that if they roll the ball back, Titleist will still have the advantage and make the best ball. But they're going to have to work very hard to reestablish that again, having already spent a lifetime doing it with the brand. That's their concern. I'm no expert in that. They might be right about that. They might not be, but that's why they, they in particular have been so resistant to any change to the ball because they have the most to lose. Yeah, well, they've also got an enormous power. Um, mm. The equipment companies, I mean, I'm, I'm not allowed to write on this subject for some of the publications that I work for because uh, the equipment companies buy silence with their advertising mm. uh, and they buy the players' silence with their endorsement well, they, It, it now, seems I, they're buying more than the silence, Huggy. Paul Casey's told us that it's the fault of course architects and developers who figured they could fit two more houses per side of each fairway on a new course yeah. if they made the holes longer. And the poor old been, golf pros just trying to keep up. Yeah, but I've always been suspicious of all that because it, it just doesn't make any sense. It, 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 it doesn't really? compute. Depends, it depends, Huggy, 
how much money you're making out of it. And on a serious note, this really does come down to that famous George Costanza lie. Remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> well, the, you know, the other thing about the manufacturers these days is the sheer desperation in their marketing. Like, we've seen this big launch of a new Callaway driver recently, which has just has a ridiculous little series of marketing terms, all with these ridiculous pseudoscience and, uh, like, uh, sort of meanings behind them, which I frankly find incredibly annoying, but they seem to believe it. Um, but I, I was looking at PXG the other day, and they because I, I was trying to say something bad about PXG, but I've resisted, but... <laughs> But I was looking at their stupid marketing and they've got these things for their latest drivers where they say variable face technology, carbon fibre crown, precision weighting technology. I just like this is on one page of their website, honeycomb TPE insert, impact reactor technology. They're just words. This aren't is they? a they're bloody golf just, club. Just pick words. The best one is hot rod technology. There's hot rod technology. Hot rod technology. Um, but it's just, a, it's just a bunch of crap. Leaving like, all that aside. Let's so, reset that. Yeah. Like, the problem with what you outline, Huggy, is actually a very serious one because it goes a long way beyond golf, and this is how the world and media works, and there needs to be some balance created. That attitude of we pay for the ads, therefore we control the narrative inside the magazines, and it does exist, and you're right, anybody who works for magazines, you need to be extremely careful how you deal with this topic because there are potential financial repercussions for those who own the magazines. It does the game such an enormous disservice and what it does do is suggest that the manufacturers don't believe in golfers enough that we can all have an adult conversation about something that well, is incredibly important to this game be, and its future. Yeah, it reveals that they're, they're, they doubt the strength of their own argument because why would you have to silence the other side yeah. if, you, if you think you're right? You know, that, that's what I keep coming back to. That's the part that doesn't compute for me is that, you know, why... why shut everybody up if you think that you're right and yep. just let them speak and, and you can win by the strength of your argument they, they, all, they clearly are not sure of their own position and that's you know that to me means that we're right and they're wrong it's just that simple it's that fear factor again isn't it yes. or, or their own product like I think if you're a manufacturing company that truly believes in the quality of your product you're just going to compete on that basis no matter what happens within the market so. Yeah, and and, the, and part of the problem too. I mean, I don't. Mean, I mean, I'm on the other side of this argument quite clearly. But these guys are fantastic at what they do. Mm, yeah. And the people who they, work for these equipment companies. I mean, I think they're 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 wonderful. They're they could, clearly brilliant people. Yeah. That are doing stuff that way over my head for a start. And, Impact and, reactor technology. <laughs> huggy. You would yeah. never have thought of that, Huggy. Never. They are brilliant at what they do. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the problem too. They're yeah. too good. So I'm just going to say this. I think this is. I've said this more than once. I'm sure on podcasts. As a journo, your job is to be neutral and objective. This is the one issue I've ever been just publicly taken a side, and I've taken a side because I believe it's not about money and players and endorsements and golf balls. This is a legitimately important issue for the game as a whole. If you're you to in, stay around, you're in the pocket of big rollback. <laughs> I'm in the pocket of big rollback. I, I know the guys who started the Rollback Alliance. But that is actually quite important that, that you establish that. Having said that, I'm more than open to listen to what it is that the manufacturers uh, sort of have to say. But you know, it, 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 it's... It's an extremely interesting and important time in the game, it feels like. I mean, perhaps more important than some people have realised as yet. And I wonder what the response from the manufacturers is going to be. If they'll present a united front 
or whether they'll splinter. The game fracturing is not a good outcome for the game. Well, let's rejoice at the moment that the actual governing bodies see it the way we see it. Let's let's just be happy with that for the moment. <laughs> I think these these other vested interests, and I include the PGA Tour in this, oh, where they don't you think they don't actually have any responsibility to the game. They've only got this pseudo responsibility where they they're powerful enough to have a seat at the table, but it's all care, no responsibility. Those are you know. Well, they're not actually in power at the moment. They they can have a say in how they run their tournaments and we can get in the whole local rule thing as well. But well, let- which is important, which has also been completely misrepresented. And the first thing that's happened is that you've had a bunch of people come out without reading the thing and say, Well, they're gonna they're gonna try and rob you, you use fifty five year old Huggy or I think you might be a bit older than that, Huggy, but they're gonna rob you of your distance. Well, I don't cause the game a problem. Why would they do that to me? Well that's in fact exactly what they're not intending to do. Mm-hmm. The, the, the proposal at this... They haven't stage. taken that off the table, though. The way no, that... That was a very carefully no, but, worded And nor should they. The yeah. ultimate goal should be to roll back the game at all levels because yeah. the reality is, is that whilst Huggy and I don't hit it too far, there's a 22-year-old somewhere at every golf club in the world who does hit it too far over the fences, into the houses, onto the roads, and that is a... It's a it's legitimate a problem. problem, and it's a, for the game going forward, and that needs to be corrected at some point. But the starting point has to be at the top of the game where it's the showcase of the game. And the way to do that is this form of soft bifurcation. This is like a soft Brexit, and that well, is that, that, that's create the local... another layer of hypocrisy in this whole thing. I mean, the, 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 this fear or loathing of bifurcation that the authorities seem to have... I, mean, I don't get it. I've said this many times, but they've created bifurcation. Yeah. We're already bifurcated with local yes. rules. Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. game that the pros play and the game that you and I play is never been more different. No. They've never been more divorced well, from each other. Playoff that's, was a, that's bifurcation. Playoff right? at the Vic Open is a perfect example, Huggy, where there's a great big bloody corporate hospitality tent yeah. behind the green that you aim yeah. at, smash it down yes. to there and drop it in the drop zone. All of that stuff. And the, all the tees at the old course at St Andrews that, hmm. I mean, the pros, the tee, they're not even on the golf course, no. for God's sake. I mean, really? I mean, is that the, I mean, don't get me started. I mean, the hypocrisy <laughs> of this is just mind-boggling. It really is. Might be a the, lo- the local well, rules are a great test bed for for things that can yes. get written into the rules That's permanently. Right. I think the embedded ball thing was a local rule forever, wasn't it? And now you you can take a relief from an embedded ball through the green, I think. But the uh the other one, it works the other way as well. Like the the local rule for taking a drop for out of bounds, you know, where you can take it to yeah, the yeah. fairway. Yep. There's no way a professional tournament is going to no. introduce that. Most that, clubs have refused. That's a reverse bifurcation thing where that is a local rule that's meant to benefit amateur play. You can't believe the invective and the hatred that was spewed when that was mentioned up at my club right. as a possibility for how can that? Oh, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, that, yeah, that, interesting that one hasn't been adopted that much. I can't imagine anybody's yeah. adopted it, have they? But anyway, the, the one with the, the thing I find most interesting about this debate as well, which seems to be getting a bit of momentum, is the, the ball being looking at a bigger ball. And I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but just the big... Been a proposed solution for a long time and lighter, make it a bit lighter. I think it's really important to be able to physically see that you're playing the right type of ball. Like if we we come up with a solution where it's just some subtle thing within the manufacturing of the cores of the ball, then I just don't think that's going to work with the rules of golf. I think you need to see a physical difference. It does need to be... Whatever ball they come up with, Huggy, 
I think this is important. I can't remember who said this, but somebody said this the other day. It does need to feel like what we've become used to. It needs to replicate golf as we know it. If it makes some weird sound or has some oh, yeah. weird pop-up fly. It can only be that, a tiny bit bigger. That It just needs to, it needs to feel like golf as we know it, or I think. That will be, that, that's for a long way. You need to be seen to be conforming to the new rule if we do have a new ball introduced. You need to be seen to be using the proper ball. So I feel like that bigger ball thing has a lot of... But you know what? It's going to create problems with the pin in the hole again. The, like, a, bigger no, ball, <laughs> a bigger ball's not going to fit through the little, the little thing. The you gap, see, Huggy? You see the nuances at play in here? <laughs> well, you yeah. didn't think of that, did you? <laughs> you Unintended consequences. My biggest problem in this whole thing is that we're putting an awful lot of faith in people... The USGA and the RNA, who've done some incredibly dumb things over the last 15, 20 years. I mean, just down to trivial stuff like we touched on earlier. I mean, why why change hazard to penalty area? Why change pin position to hole location? I mean, <laughs> the pedantry, the, the pointless pedantry of all this. And these are the all people square. we're, all we're gone, trusting. We're putting ourselves in their hands to get it right, to save the game, if you like. Who else have we got, Huggy? Who else have we got? With all this stupid stuff. Who I mean, else have we got? Oh. There's the question. Who else have we got? Uh, well, much as I'd love to, we're not making you the czar of golf or clates. Yeah. So well, if it's not if it's it, not it, them, you know who it's going to be, don't you? It's going to be the I Premier Golf League. Not, it would look very different if I was in charge. I know. <laughs> it would look very different, Huggy. Very different indeed. Well, you said don't get you started. Unfortunately for everybody in Adelaide, I think we have. Luckily for us, we're in Sydney, so we can hang up. And be done with it, and yeah. you can go and get started. Yeah. Mark Hayes is sitting next to me now. He's going to be. He's going to get. I'm going to give him full barrels when he. His, his left ear will yeah. never be the same. Again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the poor he bugger. Says, Bring it on, but he doesn't know what he's getting. He into. doesn't know what he's getting, getting into. That, that, that's a fool's errand. Huggy, fantastic of you to join us. We really appreciate it. Uh, people who haven't listened, you very kindly subjected yourself to a lengthy interview with me. Uh, on the Thing About Golf podcast, not part of the Talking Golf Network. It's one I do for Golf Australia magazine. It's my favourite thing to do. I really enjoyed it. I think you enjoyed it, but I think you came across really well. And I appreciate you taking the time. And I suggest everybody go and listen to it because... It's a great episode. Curmudgeonly a bonus Huggy, episode in the episode. That's right. <laughs> don't give away too much. Curmudgeonly Huggy isn't the real Huggy. The real Huggy's much nicer and more thoughtful. And, uh, and so, so thank you for doing that. And it, it's exposed you as the nice bloke that you are. I'm now going to go off and let my heart rate get back to normal. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Cheers. And Adrian Logue here in the studio. Much more thoughtful and pensive. You're looking quite reflective over there. I think you've given yourself a lot to think about. Good of you to come in today. And I'm sure it's not the last, last thought that you'll give the whole, the whole subject. But thanks for today. Thanks, Rod. Enjoyed that. Good, good. Episode 18 in the books. You can find me on Twitter at, at Rod underscore Murray. You can find Huggy on Twitter. I think you just searched John. Is it John Huggin? What's Huggy on Twitter? Quick, Adrian? I, I can't help you. Oh, no, you failed. Hang on, I'm looking it up because I've got to give his Twitter handle so that people can follow him on Twitter because he's a good follow on Twitter. He knows his stuff. And here we go. Will you be tweeting a link to that Golf World UK piece you wrote? Huggy? I'm still here, yes. Yeah, yes. you're going you're gonna to be tweeting yeah, a link to that. I'm, I'm filling for time here, Huggy. You're not helping. At John Huggin. Very simple. At John uh, Huggin. No. The, the Golf World UK, um, unfortunately, haven't progressed to, to links. That's right. They're not online, are they? Really interesting experiment. Bizarre, yes. I know. Bizarre. So I, 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 I rant and rave into you know, the, the void. <laughs> Shouting at the clouds, as they yeah. say. Well, next time you're on, you bring along a print copy and you can read it out for us and we'll have a listen to it. That would be terrific. <laughs> <Good on you. coughs> that, would, that would kill off any, uh, any um, listeners that... Uh, 
you've got already. Yeah, so I don't know. Perhaps not. Nah, perhaps not. I think you probably get out of here, Huggy. Get out of here. Like, good to catch you all. Uh, good, good okay. episode, 18. We'll be back to do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.